0: hi everyone welcome to animators breakfast this is a podcast where we talk to different people who work in the animation industry and today finally 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 (laughs) someone has picked what i've always wanted to talk about so i'm delighted to be sitting here today this is an incredible treat for me and i have the incomparable kirsten Shield. how are you
1: I'm good, yeah.
0: For people who don't know Kristen, okay, which you should, she's currently an art director at Brown Bag Films in Dublin here. What show are you working on at the moment? Are you allowed to say?
1: Yes, it's announced now, so I I am finally allowed to talk about it. Um, I'm art directing on a show called Eva the Outlet, which is for Apple TV Plus, and it will be coming out at some point next year. We don't actually have a release date yet. Yeah. But it's it's being co-produced with Scholastic.
0: Fantastic, yeah.
1: Who are based on A series of books called Diaries that was by Rebecca Elliott. Yeah. So it's really exciting to kind of adapt uh, an illustrative medium into 3D animation. It was challenging, but an awful lot of fun. Wow. And I have an illustration background, so I'm always delighted when I get to work on something so extremely stylized. Yeah. (laughs) I think Brown Bag liked casting me that way too. So I'm, I found my little niche and I'm very happy in it.
0: (laughs) You've, you've illustrated quite a bit in your time. I always love your, um, Twitter or Instagram feeds because it's just a joy to experience those uh, moments that you illustrate.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I know you've illustrated for our proud aircraft friends in Aer Lingus, um, <laughs> but also I heard John West tuna.
1: Yes, yeah, so <laughs> that was one of that was one of the more bizarre jobs I've, I've, I've mm. ever had. So I, when I was living in I lived in Manchester in the UK for about seven years, yeah. and my when I graduated college there, one of my lectures. Emma Knowles. Mm. She, we can't. We were, we were friends genuinely. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're still friends. Yeah. She wasn't just taking pity on me. But I think after I graduated, she, she was still a practicing illustrator and kind of started passing me on a few jobs here and there. Uh, okay. And yeah, um, yeah. she said, oh, I've got this one for John West Tuna. Are you interested? It's it's in Manchester, like it's an in-person job. And she didn't really tell me much more about it. And I was like, yeah, that's okay. Like I was, you know, <gasps> 21 and I was like, I'll take anything you'll yeah, give me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just need to pay my rent. <laughs> and uh, I, so I went in and do you know those, like, I instantly thought of The Simpsons when they're doing the focus group research for it's for the Itzian Scratchy oh, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and there's that two way mirror thing, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then they're asking everybody all these questions. So it was that I was doing that, but about tuna. And uh, <laughs> basically, there was a focus group in one room, and then there was all of the like John Weston like marketing product designery people in the other room. And what I had to do was draw the ideas that the focus group was having about the packaging so that the executives could see what they were talking about because, you know, I assume it's because these people don't have the visual kind of visualization kind of skills to actually see what these people are talking about. But the pro the problem was, is that I don't eat fish. I've never eaten fish, so I kind of don't really know what tuna looks like. <laughs> I was kind of guessing. So the the design ultimately what they what they wanted to do was have a little window in the packaging so that you could actually see rather than than the the tin or the can where you can't yeah. see anything. They wanted like a plastic window. So I drew a little thing and I drew like this half moon window at the bottom of the tin and then you know finished up that day and then I I have no idea how many years later it might have been like six years later I was in the supermarket and I saw my design on the shelf (laughs) They, they hadn't changed anything about it they still had that half moon window they used the color that I had very quickly used just to put some color on it. But I was amazed that they they didn't change anything about it. So uh, I can put on my repertoire that I'm also a packaging designer for tuna.
0: Mm. And <laughs> for one of the biggest tuna brands out there. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah but a bizarre job. Fun, <laughs> but absolutely bizarre.
0: <laughs> so you only went in for a day.
1: Yeah. And- oh, it was, it was only one evening or something. And it was in some... It took me ages to find as well. It was in the gay village in Manchester and I was like walking up and down the back streets and people were looking at me like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, Where are you going? What? Are you, what is happening? And I was like, I don't know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Just want to draw tuna, please. <laughs> You know, people think that the world of art and animation is this glamorous, like the Disney documentaries make it out to be everyone's kind of happy. Everything's perfectly planned, you know, but it's really just a total shipwreck most of the time.
1: I just think it's like if you think about a studio, especially like going back to animation, Mm. it's like if you put all in all the schools in all the world, you take all the weirdos. You put them in one place <laughs> and let them be themselves and nobody's bullied. <laughs> so they're allowed to flourish and possibly get weirder.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's get to the, uh, no pun intended, meat, of this, uh, meat <laughs> of this choice. Tell us, I'm so excited about this, tell us what you chose.
1: When you asked what my most influential film mm-hmm. of of my entire life was uh, no absolutely no question no hesitation it's the prince of egypt yeah it's just i love every single thing about this film i can't wait to talk about it (laughs) i was telling you before that i'm so glad that you asked me to talk about it because i talk about it unprompted so much that i'm glad that somebody actually wants to hear what i have to say about it because i have so much yeah yeah it's uh Yeah, we'll we'll get into it, I suppose. I don't want to just launch into it.
0: (laughs) We're into it now. Launch, launch, you know, press the button.
1: So I I was very lucky that when... um... When you asked me about the, the podcast and kind of mm. were telling me about it, um, I was actually in work that day mm. in the studio and who was sitting across the road from me, but uh, Aidan McAteer, who was <laughs> the first episode of this podcast, I think. <laughs> he
0: was, yeah. The Iron Giant. Yeah, good old Aiden.
1: I did my research into the podcast and I saw Aiden's name and I went, oh, Aiden!" And I started <laughs> asking him about it. He said, oh, I actually have the art of book. Um, Good old Aiden. I'll bring it in for you. Good old Aiden, yeah. <laughs> so he he brought it in for me and gave it to me, and I swear to God, this book was made for people who work in animation. I think, like the the kind mm-hmm. of background and the information that it gives you, was not for laymen. Like yeah. I don't think that they would fully grasp what that inf- what the information means. It's a lot about like the technology yeah. and the the decisions made and how to make these things. Um, mm-hmm. So it 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 was a great. <laughs> The absolute perfect book for this. So thank you so much, Aiden.
0: Yeah, thank you, Aiden. <laughs> Seriously, thank you. I tried to have a look and find it because you did mention to me that he gave it to you. And um I just I got lost in the art uh, of these things because one thing I remember when I was doing my master's, I was so excited. I was writing a thesis on Pixar um, films. This is 2011 and 12. So they hadn't kind of hit their slump yet. They were still going hard. I remember finding the, uh, like looking through the art of books and I thought, what a great resource into a filmmaker's mind. Mm -hmm. And I brought it into my uh, thesis supervisor and I was like, look at this. This is great music. Oh, yeah, they're great coffee book tables. And I was just, I had the air instantly deflated out of me.
1: (laughs) I was just like,
0: (laughs) oh, yeah, it's, I totally understand what you mean. It doesn't have that coffee book table. You know, just leave it out there, and anyone can kind of enjoy it.
1: Yeah, like I, I think that the the quality of art of books differ mm. hugely, and mm. um, some of them are just almost like finished stills from the film and nothing else. Yeah, and what you really want to see the initial sketches because that's the exciting yeah. part. Yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. want to see like just finished turnarounds and and yeah. finished stills from the film and all that mm. kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I guess it's different audiences that they're aiming at too.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and you know, the Prince of Egypt is uh, I'm going to be very specific about what I mean here is probably one of the greatest animated films ever made you know it truly
1: the, the <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be shy about it yeah. when I when I started going out with my boyfriend he's a massive um film buff yeah. into like live action film like proper films. but when we Wait, I think it <laughs> I think it must have been our second date he was driving me home after and yeah. he asked me what my favorite film was and I said the prince of egypt and he kind of Laughed and said, "No, not like a proper film." And I've never let him forget that. And I think it's massively underrated. Like I think it's such a pity yeah. that you know you talk to some people who have never seen it, and to me, that's uh, <laughs> I can't imagine having never seen it. Like it was so <laughs> forming in in my taste in in art.
0: When did you first see it?
1: So I was given it as a gift in I think it was 1998. Yeah, I remember, like I like a lot of uh, artsy kids. Um, I was weirdly obsessed with Egypt. That that seems to be one of yeah, one of happens, the things that, it? that artsy I don't know kids. What it is. Yeah, they just they, they're drawn to it. Um, so I was read. I had heard about this film. I, I would have been six or seven at the time.
0: Ah, okay. And yeah. I was
1: just really excited about this film because I thought it was going to be about you know ancient Egypt. And mm-hmm. of course, like <laughs> I remember being surprised at the biblical aspect. <laughs> and <laughs> I had no idea that that's what was coming. I just heard, yeah. you know, Prince of Egypt, and I was like, oh, that's an Egyptian film. <laughs> yeah.
0: Moses. What's yeah. I there? was like, oh
1: no, because I went to Catholic school. My mom loves Jesus. So uh, <laughs> you know it was it was quite forefrontal in my life, and I was like, Oh yeah. geez, here we go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but I, I, I love it now. It's it's <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I remember I also remember it being stylistically the first film that I was like really noticed that it was very, very different to anything else I'd ever seen before mm, in terms of like mm. the character design, especially I guess that like Yeah, big time. I didn't especially grow up with a lot of Disney films. My mom liked to go to the bargain box for videos. It was a lot of like I I didn't see The Lion King until I was a teenager. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up on like Punchback in Notre Dame, um, this movie and then like but a lot of like these kind of like not even Disney films, like there's a lot of knockoff films. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I saw an awful lot of dodgy animation growing up. But um, <laughs> Prince of Egypt is the first one that I remember being like, mm. this looks so different to anything else I've ever seen before. And I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was reading in the art of book that I was reading uh, Carter Goodrich. And um, I think it's Carlos Green Joe? I'm probably butcher, absolutely butchering that pronunciation. That's okay. (laughs) But they were the two guys who were kind of initially doing the character concepts at the beginning. Hmm. And they had kind of, this was like the first film studio that had kind of wanted to break away from all the Disney traditions that had kind of become the norm for many animation studios. They were like, we want to do something completely that's not Disney. Yeah. And um, what they did was, so. Disney character designs at the time were kind of divided up into thirds, you know, at the top of the head, mm-hmm. third for eye, third for nose, third for mouth, evenly yeah. distributed across the face. And just to make it their own, they just made the center portion of the face, so the nose bigger and made the other two smaller. And they just, that balance, mm-hmm. that little upset of balance created yeah. like in a completely different look that we'd never seen before. Yeah, totally. And then that carried forward to be like the DreamWorks style for a while. So like yeah. it carried into like Rotel Dorado.
0: Yeah, big time. Uh Joseph, King of Dreams.
1: Yeah. All the yeah. All their traditionally animated stuff. Also kind of looks a little bit like hieroglyphics. That was also partially an influence.
0: Interesting. Wow. I guess the Egyptians definitely do. You know, yeah. like Ramesses and everything totally could be a hieroglyphic. Yeah. But you're totally right about the noses. I mean, especially Aaron's nose, yeah. you know, yeah. massive. Yeah, <laughs> just but it's so well balanced,
1: and it's so they turn so beautifully. Like the yeah. form of those characters, Ooh. even though they're so stylized, they just have such solid form. It's, oh, yeah. it's so beautiful.
0: <laughs> really, they do turn really well, and and you know the film really challenged that because there's a lot of camera movement, yeah, rotating yeah. around these characters. You know, and they played so much with 3D environments that allowed the camera to move, but then to animate you know, these character the characters being turned around in that environment, massively difficult, especially like to hold that detail. And there's incredible, really some of the best delicate acting I've ever seen in animation on human characters, you know, in a traditional medium.
1: Yes, definitely. I think that there's an awful lot of like it's not like we kind of see in a lot of films where it's like cut, cut, cut in a conversation where you're looking between whoever is talking.
0: Big time, yeah. There's
1: a lot of held cameras on characters reacting. Yeah. Yeah. And this really subtle animation where they're listening, but like emotions Mm. are playing across their face. And I'm especially thinking of that bit where um, Ramesses, he realizes that Moses has not come back.
0: Yes. um, And he has the ring.
1: Yeah, and he has the ring and he brings it up to his face and like there's so much pain in his face and he closes his eyes. And then when he opens them again, yeah, oh my God. <laughs> like
0: his heart is hardened at that stage you yeah. Know? He's, yeah he's hardened. And like
1: just the the acting in the film mm. on in, in terms of like the actual animated characters is just absolutely masterful like i think yeah the, the subtleties and the emotions like even at the beginning of the film with seti the the dad pharaoh
0: yeah um, yeah
1: when he's kind of talking about you know having to massacre all of these babies as like a necessary thing yeah. that he had to do but like mm, you mm. can there's like a haunted look in his face yeah and it's so hard to do like although they are quite detailed they're they're not like dot eyes and a line mouth you yes, know but like yeah it's very very difficult to do that with two lines around an eye to convey that much emotion
0: yeah i totally agree And, you know, there's a great example, you know, when Moses is returning um, and it has that kind of overlay of him on the camel with his wife and they're kind of riding in and you see the, you know, all the, the, the slaves basically working. But there's this one great moment where it like holds an old man who looks up and he's got this listless, empty you know, broken look. He (laughs) He looks so so tired. (laughs) And, you know, and I was really studying his eye, just like how they achieve that. And I was like, wow, this is incredible because it's just a black circle. You know, there's no, there's no light, pinning into it there's no like white dot or anything like that i'm like how th- how did they get that listless look in his face this broken yeah. man incredible
1: and and that a whole team of animators you know that there's different teams yeah. of animators usually for every single character especially mm. for moses because he's in nearly every single scene in the entire film yeah. so it's not just like one lead animator for him there was a lot of different people and for all of them to meet that standard throughout the film is incredibly hard <laughs> something
0: yeah. really something else totally you know also as well while we're on the acting you know when he first you know the after the burning bush scene which is a beautiful mm-hmm. scene in itself but when he leaves the cave and the sheep runs off and you can see him processing what he's just gone through Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that moment where he's putting everything together and you can see the weight resting, starting to rest on his shoulders as to, you know, his life will never be the same. They captured that moment so beautifully. It's like a moment where you know your life is never going to be the same again. Mm-hmm. And then he's looking down the valley toward everyone. And I uh, just was totally blown away. Again, there's no talking. It's just how it's framed and what the incredible animators have done to yeah. pull that emotion out.
1: And speaking of like around that that point, when he's talking to God and the, mm. talking to the burning bush, like God is not an animatable character. So we are not <laughs> talking about animating God's face. We are only looking at most reactions. Yeah. he's just listening whoa
0: great whoa great point there <laughs> Jesus, yeah
1: you know it like it's so like how to animate that and keep it interesting and keep it visually exciting yeah. while he's just reacting and and taking all this news it's yeah it's incredible and mm-hmm. um, speaking of though like i mm-hmm. mean w- there's such heavy heavy themes Very in heavy. this story yeah. like this is not i think it's it's why i still enjoy it so much as an adult like mm-hmm. i watched it again last week and i've seen it I couldn't even tell you how many times I've seen this film, but like I was still gripped throughout. There is no boring parts. There is no nothing. Yeah. And it's so heartbreaking still. Like yeah. this is a biblical story mm. that's not just Christian. It's known through all Abrahamic religions. It, it It's mm-hmm. actually probably originally a Jewish story. Oh, totally. Um, it's the Old
0: Testament. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, to deal with these really heavy like genocide and yeah. killing babies and like slavery everything and to handle it so well mm. that me as a six or seven year old i can't remember how old i was <laughs> like just was so gripped by it yeah. and th- that i still enjoyed it <laughs> i was saying this to my brother the other day i don't know if he wanted me to mention on this on the podcast but when we were kids um and we watched this film the plague of um <sighs> the livestock when all the cows are dying in oh, the field yeah he always cried at that bit. he was like i just don't understand why the cows have to die as well they didn't do anything (laughs) (laughs) that is
0: powerful i always get goosebumps watching and listening to the plagues part and you know the way they planned that because they You know, what have you got going on there? You've got the god coming down and destroying Egyptian power, basically. You know, Mm -hmm. he's attacking all the gods' powers, all the major gods, through all these different plagues. So you have to achieve that. And that's powerful to witness. But they use the same iconography they've established throughout the film. Like, you know, when the fire's raining down and you see Ramesses and Seti's uh, giant statues there, you know, being pelted by these fireballs, but also you've got how it's affecting the Egyptians. And on top of that, you have the core of the story, which is these two brothers who are in direct conflict. And that's ultimately what the song becomes about, where the chorus of God in the background is like, this is happening when they sing, you know, I sent my sword. sword. This incredibly powerful being in the reality of this story sent his sword in to kill these people, but at the same time, you know, how that affects these two brothers who are totally in conflict, losing loved ones, supernatural powers, waging war in your society, but they keep it so tight and so smart to just never stray away from the weight of their decisions, you know, and how it affects them. And I think really the strength of the film rests in there. Yeah.
1: I'm not um, I'm not any sort of a writer or director I'm hmm. I'm actually quite clueless when it comes to stories but I do recognize when one is good or bad like in industry I can definitely recognize when a script is going to be better and like That's an animation <laughs>
0: an, an- <laughs> ta- scripts are hard to judge you know? scripts are hard to judge
1: um an animation you can make it look as impressive or as beautiful or as complicated as you want but if the script is bad it will never mm-hmm. live up yeah. to you know, any sort of scrutiny, like it's, it's like buying a house, it's location, 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 but, mm. um, with animation or with st- film in general, it's all about story. Mm. And I think that this has such a strong, strong story, Incredibly. like the decision yeah. to make it about the brothers. So I, w- I was saying to you earlier that you're going to laugh at the research that I did for this. Um, <laughs> <Tell me. laughs> a couple of days ago, I read the book of Exodus. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, because I, 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 tell me more. <laughs> I just wanted to know what source material we were working with and yeah. what they adjusted and what they changed and the decisions that they made to make this such a gripping story. So in the Bible, it it is very much like, you know, Moses was taken into the, it was actually the Pharaoh's daughter who became his adoptive mother, mm. but he was still kind of like, it seemed like, he still kind of knew about his heritage throughout his life. Yeah, yeah. So the decision to hide that from him and have like that moment when he finds out and it's very tumultuous I thought was interesting. Yeah. And then he goes into the desert and when he comes back he in the bible he's like 80. And <laughs> he comes back and no wonder
0: he died in the desert. Yeah. yeah.
1: Pharaoh doesn't really seem to know him when he comes back like they have absolutely no familiarity. They have no sort of There's no indication of recognition or any sort of personal relationship there. Yeah. So to make them brother figures, I thought was such a good decision because like, that's what brings you into this. And it is, Mm -hmm. this is a story about brothers. Yeah. And even though it's this big Bible epic, it's, it brings us right down to like an extremely human level. Mm -hmm. And like, I I find that so like... In the Bible, he kind of pushes back on a few of God's decisions and he is kind of arguing with him a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) And then in the film, you can kind of pick up on that a little bit. Like, you know, after he goes in to Ramesses after all the firstborns have been killed and Ramesses own son is dead and he says okay you can go when Moses leaves and he has that little breakdown on on his own oh my god that breaks my heart every single time but it's just so human that like he knows he has to do this but he doesn't feel remorseless about it
0: yes great word I, I (laughs) I think that's what I mean by like if this story was true and these events happened right? How would that make the people who are experiencing it actually feel? Yeah. And they really never stray away from that at all. You know, it's very easy in animation to cut a scene like that. Oh, yeah. we don't need to see that actually. It'll save this much money. Yeah. But in showing the, how intense an experience that is, you know, he still wants to care for his but He reaches out and touches his shoulder. You know, he does everything he can to plead with him saying that worst is to come. And he still goes ahead and does it but he knows the horror of what what he's just done you know he yeah. understands that and then the only you are going to disagree with me here the only small criticism i have of this film
1: i won't accept it <laughs> this
0: is this is totally for me is how then it, they just patch it into the miracle song you know this this moment of horror uh, you know, previous horror and it's so sad and weighty. And then uh, his sister, what's her name, Miriam? Miriam. She comes up and is just like, eh, miracles happen. And starts. <laughs> then everyone sings about it and they leave. And I understand you need to have that great moment of we're free, you yeah. know. They don't understand the horror of what he's going through and I understand, you know, that's why it's a small criticism because they don't understand what he's just been through. His wife does. Yeah. You know, Miriam's a believer but... I always found that bit. I I was found it a bit disconnected in the sense of wow, that was so weighty. But now I'm supposed to Network cheer for cool. these people. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's. Um, I read it in mm-hmm. this book today. And this book, by the way, if anybody is interested in it, is called The Prince of Egypt: A New Vision in Animation. Fantastic. And it's kind of about all of the the background to create. It. Very interesting. Yeah. And um, so I was reading in it today that they actually were having an exact conversation about how to bridge this wow and they were in egypt at the time doing their research trip and it said that two of the lads were on the back of the jeep bouncing around and they (laughs) said it should be a song to kind of deal with the very intense emotions yeah yeah because it would be very difficult i guess to write dialogue yeah to kind of deal with that yes yeah and, and then have like kind of secondary characters so it's not that song is not concentrating on our main cast it is concentrating on secondary characters who are kind of, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's more about the people now and not about our main cast. But yeah, I I take your point. Yeah, (laughs) thank you, thank you.
0: No, but that's also a great point to say, it's like you're totally right. The focus of the film shifts again to the actual true core of what they're trying to achieve. You know, Mm -hmm. now that they've achieved it, of course, it should be a joyous moment. And look, the kids are loving it. Here are the kids singing and dancing and having a great time leaving egypt and that's fantastic you know it is lovely to see that and i get what you mean yeah because moses plays no part in that song he's just walking around with everyone um and ramesses is not there at all also it's interesting because you know in the bible they don't name the pharaoh
1: he's not ramesses no it's just ramesses yeah you read it too did you he's just a pharaoh isn't he (laughs) yeah yeah i I think he is
0: just pharaoh yeah yeah he's just pharaoh and i think it was in this film or maybe was it the Maybe it was the um, Ten Commandments they, they named them Ramesses. Anyways, uh, sorry, that's a nonsense point. I was just curious. <laughs> no,
1: I think it's so that like it's placing it in a specific period of history, right?
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. That's that's the purpose of it. I was just curious of the, the origin. Yeah. yeah, it makes it far more realistic then. I think as well, one of the true strengths of this film is, I, I there's something I've been struggling with, in terms of animation, as much as I love it, you don't really see many animated epic films. You know, it just doesn't really exist. There's, there's less than five that I can think of. One is The Prince of Egypt, total epic. Another one is Princess Mononoke, an epic film in all its proportions. Beyond that, there's a few I might say, oh yeah, that's pretty epic, like The Lion King. But in terms of that, it's like, what is my... What constitutes an epic? And one of the biggest things for me is scale. And the scale of everything in this film is insane. You know, the Mm -hmm. framing of when Seti is talking about it only takes one weak link to break a chain. Mm -hmm. And you see his massive statue behind them weighing down on Ramesses. And you see that motif carried throughout the film, which is so powerful. You know, people don't use that scale.
1: The the production designer mentioned this as well that mm. he purposefully wanted so when they actually went to Egypt and kind of saw the ruins and saw all the monuments mm. that they were going to portray it didn't it, they weren't as big as they portray them in the film but they wanted to make them feel that big t- as they would have done to those people you know that yeah they're kind of not make they're not as big as skyscrapers but to those people they would have felt like skyscrapers yeah. so he adopted this method where he put the disappearing point way back way, way 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 back so that everything seemed 10 times as big as as it actually is and yeah. i find it i find that method very interesting like i used to be a background artist yeah so i know that like different to making that kind of tricky perspective it would have been so planned to a t was yes. the kind of perspective tricks that you would have had to put into it and all the thought that would have gone into mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. crazy such a good idea
0: yeah a great idea and again it's totally serves the story yeah. totally serves what it needs to do and again i've not seen that ever in other animated films in terms of how they frame all that stuff some of the framing is just unbelievably powerful you know the the moment where Moses and and Ramesses are arguing, and his kid is there. Yeah. And then you know you see the wall with a, with the a mural of Seti killing all the Hebrew babies, mm-hmm. and you've got Moses on one side, Ramesses in the other one, and the kid there with the torch. Directly below where all the babies are dropped. I, I'm just like, that is such, that's so visually powerful.
1: Yeah. All the the lighting in this film. <laughs> yeah. You go to it forever. Yeah. So it's used so beautifully. Like, yeah. in terms of like cinematography, if this was a live action film, I think yeah. that it would be really hailed as like, Using light to tell a story yeah, 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 is, yeah. is so powerful because it's animated. It's, it gets a little a little sidelined, even though it is the same thing. Yeah. Such as such as the life of someone who works in animation. You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep flying that flag. But even, mm-hmm. you know, when Ramses is carrying his son's body to the table. Yeah. And you've got that pillar of light sh- streaming down.
1: Yeah, they, they used um, Gustav Doré as an, a huge mm. inspiration for mm. this film because of that, because of his storytelling with like really dramatic lighting. Yes, um, yeah. And that was really strong right from the beginning. So this was DreamWorks' very first animated film Yeah, and it was company formed by... Oh my God, I'm going to forget everybody. I'm terrible with names and That's I forget all right. them all the time. So Steven these are very Spielberg. famous. It's Steven yeah. Spielberg. Jeffrey Katzenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Katzenberg and the... the um, the music guy, Geffen, <laughs> David Geffen. <laughs> so yeah. there you have film, animation, and music all yeah. come together. Yeah. And there, it was their idea to have the Ten Commandments. Yes. As their first film. As their first. And yeah. they decided that they wanted the three main influences to be Gustav Dore. Claude Monet and mm. David Lean, yeah. so like they already had a very very strong visual language right from the very beginning. Incredibly of strong. How they yeah. wanted it to look, and like these were, that inspiration carried throughout the whole film. Like this very painterly, mm. really big scale, mm. really yeah. good storytelling through light and framing, and oh, yeah, perfect. It worked.
0: <laughs> you you're so right, actually. Yeah, and I think about was like Dore's use of light is outstanding Mm -hmm. and Monet's use of colour
1: and that really loose painterly effect that they got in the backgrounds, which works so beautifully.
0: Yeah, and and even still, David Lean, who is a huge inspiration on me, you know, obviously Lawrence of Arabia or The Bridge of, on the River Kwai, just the against scale, you know, he made the biggest epics ever. Like the yeah. scale of his films, and especially Lawrence of Arabia, not being afraid to let a shot run its course, which is like we were talking about earlier. They just let these emotions play out on screen. It's it's not cutting between conversations. The cuts feel necessary, yeah, which is
1: rare. And like, I think that the research trips that they made mm. also made a huge difference. Like some of the, the kind of preliminary work that they did and and the sketches that they did when they were there really like made it directly into the film. Like they went to Egypt and then they also went to Sinai,
0: uh, yeah, the where it's kind of yeah, the, more, yeah.
1: the, the deserts and, yeah. the, and the mountains and everything that they have in the, in the yeah. middle part when Moses is living with the nomads. <laughs> um, <laughs> And that influenced everything. It influenced the music. It influenced um, all the storytelling that they have as well.
0: And again, music written by our old pal Hanny Zimmer. Really, <laughs> did an outstanding
1: job. I love the music in this yeah. film. I think it's so beautiful. I think the mm-hmm. songs are—they hold up so well. It's just, and it's so it it even not not even like the full on musical numbers, but like even the music that's kind of. In between in scenes, like it's so powerful.
0: The actual score. Yeah, it is very, very powerful and, and you know, not cliche, really. It, it certainly has, you know, it knows its roots, yeah. but I never felt out of place at all. It never felt like, oh, this is they've done the desert noise, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it feels so incredibly beautiful and and even I know you said not the musical numbers but they're f- phenomenal like Deliverous oh, <laughs> the opening oh don't get God. me wrong
1: I absolutely adore all, all the music in <laughs>
0: <laughs> it reminds me of I think Deliverous is on par with the circle of life in terms of you know incredible film openings with song and I feel like they're basically the, the same effort and effect in terms of you know this big Opening number that totally tells the story of what you needed. You need to know going into this, yeah. and then it just like finishes on this incredible point and cuts the black. Yeah, you know, and you're just like, okay, I see what I see what you've done here, and I love it.
1: And what a like, it's amazing to me just how many dark themes are being dealt with. Yes, with such like, it's giving them the weight that they need. Yeah. The horrors of slavery. And like even when they're going in and killing all the firstborns, it's it's not hiding any of the violence. It's not like mm. they just go into the house and there's a scream. Like they are grabbing women by the hair. Yeah. And yeah. dragging them. And like it's it's horrible. It's yeah. horrible to see. But like it's you need to deal with that story with that weight. You can't be kind of hiding behind, oh, it wasn't so bad. It was bad. (laughs) It was very bad.
0: Yeah, because you see the like whip marks across slaves' backs. There's a great moment in Deliver Us where the old man is reaching his hand up and another uh, slave picks him up. And you're just like, oh, and then a, a slaver pushes the boat over again. Yeah. And Pushes them out of the way, out of frame, and I'm just like, wow, the, the raw brutality of that.
1: Oh, no! The, and, and, like, I as a kid, those um curved knives really scared me. Oh, yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: there's something so terrifying about them, isn't there?
0: Yeah, it, yeah, I love it so much. It's and it's um. It's a soundtrack I play in the background all the time.
1: Same, same. I didn't. I didn't want
0: to admit that. I yeah, Same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, all the time. I mean, it's so powerful and inspiring. Again, my two favorite songs, apart from the score, "Deliver Us" and "And the Plagues." Um, I find them so beautiful. And again, when I rewatched the film, I never really appreciated. Look through heaven's eyes. I think that's what it's called. Yes, yes. And when we met, and I was talking to you, and I was like, "That's where I had paused it." So I went home and pressed play and I and I was uh, blown away by the song. I was like, how did I not appreciate this before? You know, this is incredible songwriting. I, I just, I guess I never understood the theme of that song. And it's the same for possibly why people might shy away from this film because they're telling a religious story.
1: I, 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 yeah, it's, it's kind of... Whenever you watch any of the YouTube anything on this, people in the comments mm. will be like, "I'm an atheist and I love this film." And it's like you don't have to. Yeah, you don't need believe to... <laughs> in God. You don't. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's not an overtly religious story. It's a very powerful story that is handled extremely well. No matter uh, yeah. what you believe in or who yeah. you are. Yeah. Um. And it doesn't matter, um, religion or otherwise. And it's it's very beautiful. Regardless, it has a I think it has a very good message anyway.
0: And and they do preface it saying, you know, we understand this is a religious film. We just tried our best to capture the essence of what yeah. we thought is a good story. And we tried to do that with respect. And I feel like they totally achieved that. Really yeah, and truly. I, th-
1: I think so too. Um, I imagine that if it was um made today, I'm not sure it would have been handled the same way.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: Um, I I, I don't know if it would have been made at all. I don't know if they would have kind of gone near it <laughs> because like after reading Exodus like they do take an awful lot of liberties with it and yeah. um, and I think that oh I don't want to get too far into this no it might have caused a
0: bit of an uproar you know if they're not handling the material exactly as it's written Yeah, I totally understand that and that happens you know it probably did happen with the release of this film I'm not sure how, how people reacted in, in those kind of circles yeah. to its release I just know it it didn't do as well Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it deserved to be you know
1: one very interesting tidbit that that i Tell read me. about though in regards to that was they were tr- they spent months trying to decide how to do god's voice yes, yes. in the burning bush yeah, yeah. scene and and the bit where he's like take your staff move that bit remove your shoes <laughs> so they they were trying for ages to decide how to do it and and at first they were thinking about a, a gender ambiguous voice mm-hmm. and they kind of decided against that they thought that that might cause issues and then they were trying to decide maybe it would be multiple voices like people that Moses cares about they would all kind of come together and then they thought that maybe that would be get into polytheism which mm-hmm. was the point is that it's not polytheism yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and ultimately they so Val Kilmer voices Moses they decided that Val Kilmer would also be God yeah so that the idea was, is that everyone here has got in their own voice. So it's like your your inner voice speaking back to you. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really good decision. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's so smart. <laughs>
0: and so respectful as well of the religion, because it's like in terms of, you know, growing up a, a child in, in a, not necessarily a super Catholic household, but, you know, my grandparents were and, you know, having to go through all the hoops and getting baptized and you know all that kind of stuff all the hoops all the hoops (laughs) all three of them the big three (laughs) i found it so interesting that they respected the religion to the utmost degree Yes. You know, in in terms of how you approach something like that, you know, it's funny. We always hear about the decision that solves the problem, but how hard is that problem to solve? I find so interesting. And when it comes to filmmaking, like yeah. sure, that light bulb went off, but what was it like before that?
1: Yeah, yeah, and like all the all the iterations they went through, and all the all exactly. the. I just think about all the meetings they had. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in the back of a truck in Egypt. Yeah, yeah. What do you think God's voice should be? <laughs>
1: And then, like, once you decide the voice, it's like the visual representation as well. Yes. Yeah. Of, you know, the burning bush is, I, I think it's beautiful the way they did it. It's like smoke, it's like water, it's glowing, it's yeah. it's not fire, like straight yeah. fire, which yeah. I think wouldn't have been quite so elegant. Mm. And then also, like, I know that it's not exactly God, it's it's the angel of death, the part where it that comes down and kills all the firstborns, but it's the same visual effect to kind of link the two. And I think it was mm. just done... Mm. That mist, it was done in like a very beautiful, yeah light handed way. Like, I think that it, it would have been very difficult to decide oh. <laughs> how exactly to do that. Like, <laughs> is it an actual angel that comes down and it's quite scary? Yeah. Like, those biblically accurate angels maybe oh, would have my taken God, us all out. <laughs> yeah, 13 eyeballs pop out <laughs> yeah. of the tree.
0: But uh, uh, they used CG for that, didn't they?
1: Yes. And and that's one thing I wanted to talk about is yeah. just how well the CG has aged. I couldn't yes. get over yeah. how beautiful it still looks. I was like, you know, as someone who works in CG, mm. it's it's so hard <laughs> to get it to do that. And like that, this was nineteen ninety eight, <laughs> and like that, it took four years to make this film. So that does that mean they started in ninety four? Like that's it's insane yeah, how yeah. how well it still holds up. It it would have been incredibly difficult to achieve that today to yeah. marry two uh, D and three D mm. together so seamlessly especially for such a painterly style in the backgrounds yeah like I know that if I was on that team and they said we're doing the 10 commandments and I would have instantly first thought of that feckin wall of water and I could be like how the (laughs) fuck are we gonna do like I would have had an absolute heart attack how are we gonna do that and I was I was reading about it and they it took them two years to do it (laughs) because they were just like how are we gonna do this but it is nearly all cg and then they put 2d traditionally animated effects over the top of it especially Fantastic. the edges of the water to hide the cg-ness of it and kind of bring it back into their 2d realm but like you know there's some parts where you can really see that it's 3d and <laughs> um, like the boats in the river i'm kind of thinking of yeah or you his can, basket you can, you can definitely see that the cg there but like with the water i think that it in parts it's it's hard to tell that it's
0: 3D. Or, you know, the crowds I, I find. Um, yes. Because I know a lot of the crowds are, are 3D people, but how they position them and where they put them, it's very hard to tell. Like, I mean, you need a really good eye to go, oh yeah, that's, I can see the CG there, you know. But yeah. as a passive viewer, for a second, however many times, I never noticed it. Yeah. Until I was kind of researching the film and I was like, Oh, oh oh god and now I can't not see it because I'm looking out for it but before then I never thought about it you know there are elements of CG I totally see like you know the sand wall coming down you know and yeah. um, the chariots themselves yeah but I didn't know the whole environment all of it was around that was CG as well because they developed specific tools to do this like I think one was called the exposure tool camera to blend yeah. 3D in and 2D elements um, and that must really speed up layout processing then you know. Oh
1: I'd say so like yeah. <laughs> I think that they said for the crowds especially they said that there was shots where there was I think they said 60,000 oh people God. in it. Maybe it was more actually sorry I have the book here in my lap so I'm going to very well, quickly give her a flick, flick there, it open. yeah
0: Let's <laughs> hear <laughs> the real statistics.
1: They were saying that they had two male characters two female characters and then they had like seven uh costume variations and seven color variations so they were able to make huge crowds with that and i was like that's insane that's (laughs) that's absolutely crazy because
0: i know in the incredibles like you can see it they spent so much on everything else that for the background characters they were like oh you know we can't spend so much time and money developing these so they just used one model yeah. And and stretch them and deform them to mul- to make it into multiple different characters. And you can see it because all the police officers look like the same man, just some are shorter, you know. <laughs> but in this, I can't. I can't see it.
1: It's some feet. like uh, reading about the people that they brought in to work on this film, like it yeah. sounds like even even the people who were just starting out in animation, like they've mm. become absolute giants in animation at this point. So it seems like the absolute dream team um Mm, mm, like mm. the guy that they got in to do the effects for this film I did not take his name down unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) and I have of course immediately forgotten it um but he had just won an Oscar for his visual effects work on Twister and then he was brought into this as like his first animated film and he was like it really surprised me to learn that uh, animation is very different to uh, to live action because you're not just making it look like real; you're making it look like stylized. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which to us obviously sounds quite ridiculous, but um, for him, like a, you know, that would have been yeah, quite a no, shock. maybe
0: maybe not today. You know, you're trying to yeah. make it look. It depends on the movie, but a lot of it is realistic now. But uh, totally, then.
1: <laughs> I find the page I was looking for it wasn't sixty thousand; it was six hundred thousand. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. Jesus Christ. That's crazy, isn't it?
0: I'm trying to think of which one it is, but there are enormous numbers of people.
1: It might be that last one, you know, when he's coming down from the mountain and he's looking over everybody.
0: He's brought the Ten Commandments down. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of or in the song when they're leaving.
1: Yeah, and you see it kind of pans across everybody.
0: Yeah. Huge amount of people in those shots.
1: Huge amount. 600,000. Can you imagine being in a production and hearing that <laughs> just the absolute heart attack you and i looking
0: at about mm, six okay hundred. Oh, okay in
1: work it work now if we hear 11 people in one scene we're like oh Jesus how are we gonna do
0: this? <laughs> exactly and make sure the first uh 40 people in the foreground are traditionally animated and uh, please it's like how, how many in the foreground yeah about 40 or 50 oh god I remember for you know um the Wind Rises, Miyazaki's last film, um, before his next one. There was a scene during the... Uh, you've seen it, have you? I haven't. Okay. There's a scene, there's a great earthquake basically in Japan. This is pre-to Japan and there's an earthquake that happens and there's this incredible scene of all the people bustling and moving through the city. There's one or two shots in there where, you know, Miyazaki is very specific that he doesn't want crowds to just look like crowds faceless groups moving as a mass. He's like, they're people, so we need to animate them like people would move as individuals. So some of those shots took forever to animate. You know, there's so many people in there. But you feel that world ignite in something like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this film, you know, you've got this great thing of they all have the same purpose. They're leaving. (laughs) So, So of course you can get 600,000 people walking in the same kind of direction, you know, totally works. Yeah. And 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 it feels stylized in that sense of every frame of this film nearly feels like it could be a biblical painting.
1: Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you think so, too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, speaking of the backgrounds, like I think yeah. that that's. I consider it kind of my, my area of interest. Yeah. So yeah. for and me, expertise. this film like, well, not expertise, many more, but <laughs> <laughs> actually, yeah. I haven't, I haven't painted a background in a few years now, but <laughs> definitely my area of interest. Um, I just think the backgrounds for this film and that they're traditional just absolutely yeah. warms my heart to know that there are like thousands, thousands <laughs> of traditional backgrounds from this film surviving out there it's my dream to get my hands on one of them someday
0: wow yeah i wonder where they are
1: oh like if you ever go to any of those ctn or any of those animation convention you'll often have people that have stockpiled animation stuff like cells and things like that and they're often selling them so the stuff from really popular films will obviously go for a lot
0: Mm mm-hmm so you're hoping nobody, everyone forgets about this film so you
1: can... Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. I should, maybe don't put this podcast out. <laughs> <laughs> like I was talking to my boss about it yesterday, um, Dave McCamley, who mm. worked, mm-hmm. he worked at Disney at this time. So he was telling me yesterday about everyone who left Disney to go and work on this. Wow. And yeah. um, he was like, oh, I haven't seen it in years. And I was like, that's oh, so good, though. <laughs> but then we were talking about like what, because we were talking about this podcast, and and I was kind of asking him what what he would have picked, and he said The Lion King, and I was like, Are you allowed to pick something that you worked on? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, of course you can pick whatever you want. Tom Moore picked his friends, uh, just oh, to talk go. about. Yeah, so <laughs> you know. So if uh, you ever get
1: if you ever get Dave on, he can give you some great insight. <laughs>
0: I mean, I'd love to talk about The Lion King. And talk about it from the inside. You
1: know? <laughs> and I was asking him for any juicy gossip on on this because obviously he would have known a lot of the people, and he, he said no.
0: No, he said <laughs> well, no. not
1: not know not know that he wouldn't tell me, but know that there wasn't any.
0: <laughs> well, you can tell me afterwards. Wink, wink. There's juicy gossip and everything, you know. Yeah. Always, always, always. Well, yeah. it's so
1: funny that like. Sometimes I'll, I'll be talking to people who don't work in the industry about all the drama and all the fights and all the egos in animation, and they'll kind of go, And you make cartoons for six year olds. <laughs> <laughs> like it really puts you in your place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: like, um...
1: Every time I was getting stressed about the show I'm currently working on, it's about owls. Um, yeah. I would be complaining so much and i'd be like i'm about to have a breakdown i'm so stressed my boyfriend would go is this about the l show and it just got <laughs> me right down
0: <laughs> yeah you're just like oh okay yeah yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. It does. The world is a way of just piling problems in on, on top of yeah. you. And
1: but then I was I was talking to a friend of mine who's he's very into um diving and he told me all about the drama around all the diving community. So I'm like, I think it's just any group of people. Yeah. The same problems <laughs> will come <laughs> up over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the same drama, all the same egos, all the same everything.
0: All the same egos. You know, I've been doing improv classes because I really find that so interesting. It really helps for interviews because it trains you to actively listen rather than yeah. having just points prepared. You're not just, like, and what was your favorite? You know, none <laughs> of that stuff. And I do a lot of interviews for Cartoon Brew and their affiliated uh, animation festival in between. So I do, like, I do a lot of interviews and I've found it, the, the less I prepare, the more I enjoy it. Yeah. So it's like, how do I build that up? So I'm going to do improv, you know, improv because it really gets you to think on the spot but really what I've discovered improv is good at is destroying your ego (laughs) just getting some rid of it totally you're just like oh god I'm making a fool of myself you know but then you're just like embrace it who cares you're not actually being a fool you know what I mean so totally renders the ego null you're just kind of like (laughs) okay this is a great experience Uh, challenging but great to get past that point I think yeah it's just everyone has their dreams and desires but nobody really Knows how it affects their behavior, and that can cause problems. You know, which I'm yeah. sure happened on this film. You know, you've got someone <laughs> like Jeffrey Katzenberg as as the leader on this, who is not exactly, from what I've heard, the easiest person in the world to work with.
1: And from reading about him, it seemed like he really wanted to do everything that wasn't Disney. Yes, <laughs> he wanted just this to just to be like an almost anti Disney film.
0: I mean, yeah, how do you how do you feel about that statement? Do you feel like it is?
1: Uh, I mean, I guess that it, it was a lot braver in terms of dealing with much heavier themes like we've been talking about and mm-hmm. stylization wise they tried to get away from what Disney had been doing. But ultimately it's an animated feature with music and musical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I love, but you know, we've I think that he was talking about mainly the thing he wanted to get away from was the fairy tale thing because that's mm. what Disney had built themselves yeah. on. Yeah. And this is away from that. Like this is a completely different um, subject matter.
0: Yeah, very somber. You know, it's not a, I mean, there is a lovely ending of they're free.
1: Yeah. They didn't get into all the stuff afterwards, all the yeah. golden calf stuff and all that.
0: Oh, God, imagine. Yeah. I mean, he was. That's they what were I kept about thinking to. at the end. He was literally walking down from the mountain, just going, ah, you know, the sequel. <laughs> imagine, is... the,
1: imagine the film was 10 minutes longer. You're just like, oh, yeah. Jesus.
0: It's just like, what's happened to your lads? Uh, or when he dies and never gets to the promised land. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess they couldn't yeah. do that. I forgot he was so old. Who's his after him is was Joshua, wasn't it? He was the next leader of the.
1: I'm not sure I I don't I won't pretend to know
0: yeah no I thought it might have been in Exodus but I guess the story stops when they get out
1: or I've forgotten everybody's names again as (laughs) is my my want to do. that's
0: fine okay no they made a very good decision as to where to end this film and and you know I think about Disney or something and you know really during the uh the 90s when they had their films there are dark films they did make you know Hunchback and Notre Dame oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> because uh Dave was talking about that yesterday because he worked on Hunchback and I was like yeah. I was like who decided <laughs> that would be a good Disney film because <laughs> yeah. I love that book the Victor Hugo book yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's really good but um it's it's extremely dark like obviously they adapted it for an animated film, mm-hmm. um, number one, making Frollo not a priest. Yeah, <laughs> which I think was a good decision. Was um, yeah. I don't know who read it and thought, yeah, this would be a good one. This is, you know,
0: what our audience needs next <laughs> is a Hunchback that lives in Paris. Like, oh, okay, and what happens in that? Well, there's a guy who hates gypsies. Okay, <laughs> what else happens? Well.
1: You know? Well, he's
0: going to get one and he's going to sniff her hair. Yeah, <laughs> sniff it and then sing a song about how his desires are okay. Yeah, bizarre. Or even The Lion King, like Mufasa dying is pretty brutal, you know. that. Yeah. It is. So there's definitely stuff in there. I, I, I feel like he, he was a very jaded person, uh, Katzenberg, especially with, I think the head of Disney at the time was Michael Eisner, wasn't it? And that's why Lord Farquaad apparently looks exactly like... Michael Eisner, <laughs> and and you know he has his kingdom, you know, uh, Duloc, which is yeah. basically Disneyland. You know, oh. he really took the, really <laughs> went for them there in Shrek, you know, yeah, and directly yeah. disassembled fairy tales. That that's the anti-Disney one, really.
1: <laughs> Have you heard actually about on on Prince of Egypt? So this was the first feature they were doing, but I, I think like halfway through this production, they started making Shrek. Mm. And if you did, if you fucked up enough on Prince of Egypt as punishment, you got put onto Shrek.
0: <laughs> I did hear that as well. <laughs> it was this, and he did the same thing on Pocahontas and sent oh, really? them over to the Lion King.
1: Wow. Oh, actually, you know what? I did hear that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was the B project. It's, it's just like, OK, well, you're sending good people over. OK, OK, cool. It's so
1: funny that his instincts were off for both. Yeah. that. The B projects on both ended up being the ones that kind of stood the test of time.
0: Yeah, big time. And, you know, what I find so interesting. about it? Prince of Egypt was supposed to be the first film. But because he was so greedy, he like sprung ants, uh, released ants just before the Prince of Egypt.
1: Oh, you mean Killian uh, Murphy ant? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, uh, is he in... Uh, no, no, no,
1: he looks like him. Oh, he lead does, does look he like, like, oh like my <laughs> God, the jaw,
0: yeah. <laughs> I was like, it hey, wasn't, this is Woody Allen. Uh, yeah, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I, I said that to enough. my
1: friend Lynn yesterday and she's like, I can never unsee that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Jesus, you've, I don't know, heightened that? Uh, if they remake it. In if <laughs> I have to see
1: it, you all have to see it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, thank you. Yeah, just force it on the rest of us. Um yeah, just DreamWorks obviously made incredible films around that time, you know, and The Prince of Egypt is the it's bastion, like truly its best film. I really, really feel that I'm never not interested in not watching it.
1: Exactly. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm always <laughs> interested in
0: watching it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think that their attention to detail through like so they decided to this was the first Animated feature where they hired a dedicated costume designer. Whoa! And um, her name was Kelly Kimball, and uh, she did, did an awful down? lot of. I did. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to get through my list of things that I actually written down. <laughs> <laughs> and she did all of her research and like adapted it because obviously, you know, in animation, there's things that you don't want to do like capes yeah. and like yeah. material that's going to be too, too much secondary action. So yeah. it was kind of adjusted but it was still very true to how they would have dressed. Um apart from and this is something that I've only heard and I didn't actually look it up. Ramesses when he's a teenager with the little um oh, the little hair. He has the shaved head but he has that like juvenile yeah piece apparently that was only for very small children like it didn't really survive into your uh, teenagehood but I guess maybe they didn't want him to be fully bald but they wanted him to be recognizable from when he was a kid.
0: Yeah, and, and also draw a parallel to his kid, who was the same thing. You oh, know? yes, true, true. That's interesting.
1: I find this interesting. Brenda Chapman was the first female director of an animated feature since yeah. Lottie. Oh, my God, what's Lottie's?
0: Reininger, yeah. Yes,
1: thank you. Um, in 1934.
0: And uh, The Adventures of Prince Ahmed came out in 1927, I thought.
1: Yeah. Are you Googling it or are you just remembering?
0: I'm pulling it out of my brain. <laughs> uh, it's It's... In the 20s, definitely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what, 70 years of of no female directors in animation? Crazy. It is
0: sad, isn't it? You know, because Disney obviously had their nine old men, but it always defaulted to one specific director. And that was usually Wolfgang Reitherman. But Brenda, obviously flying the flag. I know there was two other directors with them as well, uh, Simon Wells and Steve Hickner, which makes sense because a film of that scale... Like, how do you... Uh,
1: you need them. You need them all. Yeah. You
0: need, you need <laughs> as many people as possible. Do you have any idea how many people worked on this film?
1: Oh, God, it's written down here somewhere. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this book is so big, it's kind of difficult to... Thanks, Aiden. <laughs> Thank you, Aiden. <laughs> 380 artists, technicians and managers. It took three and a half years.
0: 380, is that it? Yeah. Really? That's not a lot of people. Yeah. In In I terms so. of like animation teams
1: i guess just the amount of time that they spent on it
0: yeah also four years is not a huge amount of time i mean it is maybe a year longer than some but that's still very within the realms of a regular crew of people maybe slightly bigger on like a film of that size i
1: just think they got some absolutely everybody was a star player yeah everybody on the entire Production was like absolutely top of their game.
0: Really is, yeah. It's truly like the 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 A team.
1: And I wonder if Steven Spielberg's links to mm. live action stuff would have pulled in an awful lot of live action people who brought very new ideas to the medium.
0: Yes. Great point. Yeah.
1: Paul Lazane was one of the lead background artists. Um and mm-hmm. the other guy, oh my god, I didn't write in his name. <gasps> person um i have it here
0: spielberg when he does get involved with animated films they tend to do very well and i think part of that is because of the people he can pull in oh
1: yeah paul azane and ron lucas were the two lead background artists yeah and ron lucas was a fine artist easel painter and yeah. um paul azane was a matte painter for live action film and they had, neither had ever worked in animation before and they were put in charge of that department. And like, I think that Whoa. they would have brought an awful lot to it. Paul yeah. Zayn was kind of saying this for big epic pieces to make it realistic, but keep painterly, you have to kind of be rough. Like you, the more you yeah. render it, the worse it's going to look. And he was saying that he mm-hmm. learned that through matte painting, uh. that you have to try and get that looking realistic. And he said, you need to let the brain fill in the gaps. Yeah. If you over-render everything, it's going to look worse which I thought was very interesting.
0: Which is a great point as well, because, you know, I know for a fact on Bambi, they really struggled with trying to capture a realistic forest. And mm-hmm. eventually they settled on Chinese style background paintings because totally artistically driven, but they capture the essence of what a forest should look like, yeah. you know, without over-rendered detail that would totally take away from the deer. Yeah. Uh, if you took a video camera out to a forest and we're trying to film something and there's bushes in the way, you're not going to see anything, you know, yeah, realistically. Yeah. Uh, and I know a lot of that is framing and obviously the biggest benefit of animation is control of everything and yeah. um, it's also the biggest <laughs> biggest <laughs> drawback who's in the set it you know the best thing about animation is you can do anything and the best thing uh, the worst thing about animation is you can do anything
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> i definitely agree with that um yeah <laughs> one thing actually in in regards to framing and style that mm-hmm. i really mm-hmm. noticed is in the first half of the film yeah when we're in egypt there's an awful lot of like directly horizontal shots that look like hieroglyphic. Ooh. We see everybody from the side, yeah, and um, and that stops when he learns about his roots and he changes. It's suddenly all much more organic um, and realistic kind of shots like something that we would be more used to seeing.
0: Wow. That's so good. I never caught that ever. That's a great catch.
1: I don't know if it's true or if it's I'm just making it up. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It
1: it definitely
0: has the, um, I think, I think you might be right there because it does feel slightly altered. Everything feels altered, except the shots of when he's talking to him in the throne room and, you know, you have that flat horizontal view of the two massive statues Mm -hmm. there like him and his father bearing the shadow down over him yeah you know and just like there's the link in the chain basically he feels this pressure to keep the dynasty going because his dad was a bit of a bastard you
1: know (laughs) and i think it is like really good the way that they have retained the humanity in who is essentially the antagonist yeah. So not just Ramesses, but the entire Egyptian population. Yes, you know yeah, there's yeah. there's that bit where Moses is walking through in the plague song, where he's seeing the Egyptians are scared and are kind of yeah. defending each other and yeah, yeah. huddling together and the yeah, plague especially of that the,
0: one kid. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah,
1: I know exactly the shot you're talking about, <laughs> um, and like the plague of the firstborns. Like that's a horrible scene, even though yeah. it's quote-unquote punishing the bad guys if you know what i mean
0: yes yeah 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 the
1: whale that goes up afterwards is horrible <laughs> um yeah, yeah Moses is. and that... like ramesses son and all of that mm. um mm-hmm. the humanization of everybody in that film i think is its real strength um, and yeah. reading the source material a lot of that is taken away
0: yes yeah that's just bible yeah and just the bible nobody really has a It's not written to be a character study. Yeah. (laughs) But
1: the decision to put that in, I think, was a really strong one because it becomes a very morally complex film then.
0: Incredibly complex, yeah. Really, like you mean you can understand both people's point of view, and they they constantly say to each other, "It's like you know you're so stubborn," and he just sees Moses as this guy who used to get him in trouble all the time. Yeah, you know that's all. But a brother that he loved, and then he's come back with this, you know, defiant message.
1: And also just his worldview. I mean, like in the first half of the film, again, we don't see the slaves nearly at all. Yeah, true. Until Moses learns about his own heritage and then our view switches to them yeah but Ramesses would have remained willingly oblivious to all of that Mm. and like his worldview is completely different like i I watched a video essay the other day about um somebody was like in his defense (laughs) 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 where it was kind of like you know he, his brother killed somebody. He excused him for it. He disappeared into the desert for like 10 years. He comes back and says, now you have to do this. And he's like, what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, it is shocking to do that. And, you know, that's what I love again about the plague song is Moses singing away, you know, about how distraught he is, how he wished... He's, he wasn't him in that position. Yeah. And then Ramesses is singing about, I called you brother. How could you do this to me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just you feel the betrayal and the yeah. hurt and everything pouring out of him. Whereas at the same time, who is truly the stubborn one there?
1: Yeah.
0: Is it Ramesses or is it Moses? He's been so stubborn in, in like how he's approaching this yeah. uh, thing. He's just like, he, they're both so stubborn but ultimately there is a right and there is a wrong here. Mm -hmm, And it's mm -hmm. so interesting how they, you know, they say that the key to a a true story is what do both these characters want and why can't they have it? And it's even more interesting if they want the same thing. So someone's going to lose out here.
1: I think, you know, even though it's quite a, a heavy film emotionally and everything, I think that the humor in it is also perfect. You know, the little bits of like, The camel eating his hair like it's grass. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) There's also
0: that camel, uh, maybe it's not the same camel, but they get a lot out of camels. Um,
1: Leaning his head on Aaron's shoulder at the end when he's like, oh yeah, me too.
0: Yeah, exactly, that's exactly (laughs) what I was thinking of. I was like, "Well, what is going on with this camel here? And the Hotep
1: and Hoy characters, like the kind of um, con man kind of spiel, and and they get a musical number in everything. I think it is the lightness in it does bring it back and it's kind of perfect the way that it it all turns out.
0: And you're right about that idea of it, like, humanizes everyone. You know, these aren't these spiritual priests. They're clearly con men. You yeah. Know, yeah. You know, <laughs> who've taken advantage of their abilities to have this position. Who hate Moses. Yeah. You know. Uh, sorry, we don't want to say this, but, uh, you know, it, it grieves us to say this. But, you know, the pu- punishment is death. <laughs> so it didn't sound like that grieved you.
1: And also, like, just all the voice actors and <laughs> like yeah, this is where Steven Spielberg really yeah. called in all his mates and was like, yeah. "We we are having not just one absolute star, like everyone is a star. <laughs> everyone, everyone is like was
0: the most, a star.
1: Everyone is the most famous person you've ever heard.
0: <laughs> yeah, when you relegate Sandra Bullock to being, you know, a minor side character <laughs> in the movie, you're just like, what's happening here?
1: So apparently, yeah. Patrick Stewart really struggled with acting on his this is i think it was wasn't his first animated film but he doesn't like doing animated films because he doesn't like not having anyone to play off.
0: Ah uh, okay. He
1: he doesn't like having not having other actors there. And um, Yeah. He's but, a
0: theater actor. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But Helen Mirren loved it because she was like I can do as many takes as I want and it doesn't bother anybody. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you know, again, she didn't have a massive role.
1: No, no, she was only there for a
0: bit. I'd say she had less than 20 lines in the whole film. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, and what a powerful actress to just give 20 lines to. <laughs> you know, it just
1: and then you're totally right. Je- Jeff Goldblum, they clearly like took some of his <laughs> acting in the booth. I <laughs> think kind of use yeah. it for Aaron. I definitely see him in that character. Yeah, oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You can, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a genie, you know. They totally <laughs> just pull the mannerisms in. Yeah, and he's and and Ray Fiennes again, you know. Incredible casting choice.
1: Yeah. Uh, did you notice be... all all the Egyptians are English and all of the yes. Hebrews are American? <laughs>
0: American. Yeah, I did notice that was a classic Hollywood up yeah, to it again. Yeah, yeah. Huh? But I thought about it further, and I was like, it makes sense because. You know, we associate British with royalty and these are the royalty of the story. Yeah. This is how I was justifying it to myself, you know.
1: It's a it's a further separation of the two communities.
0: You said it better than what I was about to say. I'm
1: sorry. What <laughs> <laughs> no, were you going to say? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> it was, was going to be a
0: ramble to get to that point. That's all I know. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. I do know that for the Red Sea sequence, I'm going to try out a statistic here, a number, which you probably already heard, but it took about 300,000 hours of rendering time.
1: Whoa, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, the equivalent
0: the... of something like 36
1: years. <laughs> when I was reading about it, I was like, oh my God, I can't imagine doing this on those big computers with the big square monitors. <laughs> Can yeah, you yeah, imagine? <laughs>
0: yeah, you hear it clunking away. Um, yeah, incredible what they were able to do Really, it, it is top tier. You know, I know people who have no interest in animation love this film.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> really, truly love it. It's like a gateway drug to, <laughs> you know, but it is. It's, it's not all downhill, but it's, you know, this is one of the best guys. So <laughs> choose wisely after this.
1: Actually, that's one thing that I, when I was trying to watch it again, I found it very difficult to find. I know I was mentioning this to you yes, the day, yeah. but I was surprised yeah. that it wasn't just On Netflix or something indefinitely because it's kind of one Mm -hmm. of those films that you would just expect to be very easy to watch. I had to rent it. I had to pay for it on YouTube, (laughs) (laughs) but I did. I'll do it for this film. But I was, I was a little bit.
0: You're just like, for God's sake! I I was saying to you, I found it on uh, Now TV over here. which is sad because I have the Blu-ray and I don't. want to just watch the Blu-ray. I wanted the the freedom of watching it on my laptop if I needed to. You know, my <laughs> headphones on, uh, which is a ridiculous thing to say because it deserves a giant screen and a beautiful sound system.
1: It would it would have greatly upset greatly upset you to learn that I watched it on my phone.
0: <laughs> no, you've watched it so many times. <laughs> I had to because
1: I, I could. I tried to like cast it onto my TV and. Um, it was like you can't do this with uh, paid for content. And oh, I was like, what f- is the point of, a, yeah, of paying for it? <laughs> what? <laughs>
0: yeah. Pay pay for less access, basically. <laughs> you can't do that with that motherfucker. That's such bullshit, really, isn't it? I know. It's like, awful, outrage. awful. Outrageous. Well, on that outrageous point. <laughs> I've, I've kept you way longer than I meant to but, oh, no uh, no that's fine I had lots to say so
1: it's, it's all good
0: yeah but thank you so much I love talking about the Prince of Egypt and you know it's I, I learned so much in this I hope <laughs> everyone else did as well I actually did which is the true joy of doing these things you know it's it's like it's so good to get to know you through what you love
1: yes exactly Yeah, thank you so much for having me
0: You're so welcome.
1: Thank you to Um, Aiden for the book again. (laughs) It was a lot of the information (laughs) from this podcast came from that book.
0: Exactly. It's just like, uh, yeah, I love The Prince of Egypt. I watch it so much. So, uh, where'd you get your information? Oh, yesterday out of this book. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, But it's like, it puts the, I was going to say the foundation behind your love, but really the foundation was already there. I don't know what metaphor I'm going to (laughs) use. But thank you so much. I'll let you go.
1: Thank you
0: so much. I'll play some lovely music here on the way out. (laughs) Thank you. Some Friends of Egypt music. Very slow. (laughs) (laughs) Not exactly the best music to end on, really, is it? (laughs) This is the opening song of the film. What's the closing song of the film? Animators Breakfast is part of the Animation Network, which is hosted and edited by Cole Delaney. This podcast is funded through patreon.com. And if you're looking for exclusive content or just even connecting to us and joining our community, you can join us there on Patreon. There's a link in the description. In joining that, you support a wide range of our endeavors, including interviews with industry professionals right here on Animators Breakfast, as well as our upcoming brother podcast, Animators Odyssey, which is a journey through the history of animation. And don't forget, you'll also support critical thinking and a personal journey through animation for myself on my YouTube channel, Animation. Thank you so much for listening.